0: I mean, I think a lot of things are happening behind closed doors now, in a way. Um, in order to a lot of, you know, I've there are conversations that occur on a regular basis, and um, and I think people are dealing with them in different ways. I think now I wouldn't say that's better than it has been. I think there are more eyes, but there's also now this backlash, this public backlash against me too, against you know, with all of the. I mean all of you know everything that's happened in the past six months I think this Johnny Depp case really created some really unhealthy Mm -hmm. um, fear you know or like re-energizing of of the you know of the sort of like male oppressor in a way you know because now it feels like if he can get off then you know everybody else could too potentially you know Or, or like people aren't people. Victims are less likely to um, bring things forward when there's such a public, you know, public shaming of a um, of a of someone who comes forward um, after abuse. You know, I think there's there's definitely more community now. I'll say, and there's more energy around. You know, I think one of the best things that came out of the pandemic was the. You know, I feel so lucky to have found. I've made like some of my best friends in the industry now are people that i met on zoom during the pandemic and there have been so many sort of uh, so many opportunities that have come out of that um from you know i started working with uh um industry sessions which is such a a gift to have been a part of it's a uh, organized by two people um yirka Jure and jim sly who are you know heroes in their own right and they basically put together um a group of uh a group of sort of um like a basically an open education structure so for bipoc industry members and non really non-industry members too there were people who like really were just breaking into or thinking about starting to work in wine and creating this education structure and getting like some of the best people you know in in the world not just the country to talk about Um, whatever issue was the topic of the week. And, you know, the other facilitators and I kind of like, we all, we built this sort of network and also with participants, you know, and now it's everywhere you go, there's a group of people that, you know, and, you know, there's a group of people who like are supporting each other and, um, building opportunities for one another. And, you know, that's been like a huge gift, you know, and I I really feel like there's more representation now. Um... You know, but the, it's it's um I think maybe it's you know, I think that I see people who are i feel I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders a little bit, not really the weight of you know what I mean, not to that extent, but like I wanna be able like I kind of wanna like work in the background so nobody has to see see anything ugly, and then everyone can kind of live in this like queer like beautiful world where like everybody is like can be themselves and like be like a full expression and like live expansively and full of joy you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then i'm like i gotta i can like i'm just like gonna fight the monsters behind the scenes <laughs> you know that's kind of like the the vibe right now you know
1: well i think you know, I know i absolutely know what you mean and i i see places let's say like friends and family uh which, which...
0: side note i'm doing an event there later tonight if anybody, it starts at 5 p.m., friends and family in Oakland, just putting a little plug in.
1: I, I've had uh, both Allie and Blake on. I had Allie on when I was subbing for supper sessions, which is a different show that we're doing. And then I, I had Blake on, too. I mean, It is the best place that's opened up in, in the Bay Area in years. It, that place is just terrific.
0: Also, you know, when I was, whatever, I mean, anybody yeah. who is over a certain age, you know, remember San Francisco and Oakland as like a place full of you know queers that was just like where everyone went and and it was just you know this this was what this place w- that place was not isolated but now it's like it's this is the first time that was the first queer space that i'd walked into in san francisco in in years and it was really like shocking to see
1: and it's in oakland yeah marcia galliardi who was the table hopper was on the show uh A few weeks ago and we were both saying that the best you know the best things happening in San Francisco are in Oakland and I'm sorry to say that there are some really cool things happening in San Francisco but I definitely feel like in a lot of ways Oakland is is a bit more vibrant right now Um, and I I love San Francisco I moved to the city 30 years ago because it uh, because I needed to come out and it was a place for misfits and I would love for to see it go back in that direction. And There are definitely a bunch of people like, you know, Christopher Renfro from the 280 Project and I have been talking about. It's like, let's keep the city weird. You know, let's make the city weird again. Uh, but it's at, at least we have in Oakland where there's a lot of really, like, great stuff happening, especially a lot of queer stuff happening. And I don't know if you see this so much, but I feel like during sort of the period of, it, like, from... March 2020 up until let's say maybe the beginning of 2022 when things start to open up a little bit more. The changes that I've seen here in the Bay Area in terms of the wine scene uh, is that there are more queer owned, women owned, uh, more black and brown people who are are owning businesses. I've seen more of those than I did a few years ago. Is it still the minority? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I do see more of them. For instance, in, in San different. Francisco right now, when I think sure. think about like the places where I like to go in San Francisco, okay, there they're like Millet and Fig and Thistle, and Angel Davis, you know, who's a, a woman of color. There's decant SF, mm-hmm. uh, two women, one one who was a queer woman of color. Open that up. And it, then and then there's everything in the East Bay too. And some of these places were sort of bubbling and you know, some things were happening before, but it, it's wonderful to see that even if it's still a minority, there's, there's more stuff happening. So that it's not to say that, like, you know, some of the other spaces that I think have been very bro-y are still around. But if you want to drink natural wine, there are other places where you could go. Mm-hmm. It's you don't have to support some of these other places. You can go and you could support places like Friends and Family and, right. and Millay. Um, so it's it, it it's it's more it's good to see that, and I hope that we do see more of that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I, I hope so too, and and I. I have to say, you know, I, I'm based in Los Angeles, and while we don't really have the equivalent of a friends and family in Los Angeles yet, waiting for somebody, anybody, to take take that up, um, you know, there are spaces that feel um, sort of more inclusive and comfortable, mm-hmm. and you know, um, they're definitely like. There's like a queer natural wine night at one of, or, right. qu- you know, there's Chardegay at yeah. El, El Prado. Um, you know, there are a couple of other people who are kind of. Oh, on Monday, actually, I'm doing a. I forgot. On Monday, I'm doing an event at a restaurant called SZ in Los Angeles, in case anybody's over there, which is like the first queer. It's called Les, Les Zet, but it's a, it's like a, just because it's a play on words, it, we couldn't resist. But it's like a queer night, and there's going to be speed dating, and we're going to apparently. Um, yeah, I'm pouring some wine over there. So it's yeah, things like that where it's just like new opportunities, and I think also being, you know, what's interesting in LA, there are three female natural wine importers, three female identified at least at this moment, and uh all of us are queer, mm-hmm. and I would say, yeah, all of, and and you know, like we all kind of like occupy different spaces in the industry, and I think like where i am in my life right now makes it so that i get asked to do these uh, fun events you know um but i hope that we can all do them together sometime but it is really such a um you know i think like there's we have it's not that the community is, doesn't exist we just have to you know do a little bit more organizing down there i think we need more energy we need a catalyst
1: i'm sure you'll get there I, I think there's a, lo- a lot of like really exciting stuff happening in la Like mm-hmm. i mean I don't really like Los Angeles very much. I I have no, like, it's just not, it's, it's not my jam.
0: Listen, it's not for everybody.
1: It's, it's definitely not for me. But it, there, I know from the wine and food perspective, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there at the moment. We need to take another quick break. Uh, for those of you who just tuning in, you're listening to KXSF, San Francisco. This is Fifth Wave Radio. I am Pamela Louie, and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. That's why KXSF is looking for business underwriters to support our station. For a monthly or annual donation, you'll get rotating thank you spots heard on air 24-7 and a prime spot with your website link on the KXSF.FM homepage. Support the local arts community and get the word out about your business. Go online now to KXSF.FM slash underwriting. Underwriting for KXSF comes from City Beer, a family-owned community gathering spot to sip a fresh draft while mingling with friends old and new. Visit our new home at 853 Valencia Street, where we offer a well-curated selection of beer, wine, and cider, both to enjoy on-site or take home. There's plenty of seating and an outdoor parklet, all in the heart of the mission. So visit City Beer, a San Francisco fixture since 2006, now located at 853 Valencia Street between 19th and 20th.
1: Okay, welcome back. So this is DJ Pamalui, and I am here with Roni Ganache, who is the, an importer, a wine importer, and Roni founded Rony Selects in 2018. And when you first started, I know you had a few, you were working with Tony Cotori, who is known as the godfather of natural wine in California. Uh, Tony started, I think, 1978.
0: It's just You're just saying that because he's Sicilian.
1: Well, uh, well, the God. Let's call him. No, well, every, usually
0: people say grandfather, but the, Godfather works too. Well,
1: people call him the Godfather and the grandfather. Really? I didn't know he was Sicilian. I knew mean, he was Italian. I didn't know who that. We can call it. Well, as long as it's something positive, and I yeah. do think of a Godfather That's as being true. a positive thing, uh, which is wonderful that you're that you are working with Tony, as we were talking about earlier. For so no one paid it, not no one, but he didn't get the attention he deserved up until about ten, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to discuss that, uh, but you had a few producers, mm-hmm. and then you started expanding. I know you did a lot with the Republic of Georgia, mm-hmm. and as we're, what I think is so cool is how many producers in your book, especially from Georgia, are, are women, are women identified?
0: Well, you know, the cool thing is, I mean, I don't remember when it was, 20, 2019, maybe it was 2019, when there was a group of Georgian women that came, mm-hmm. do you remember? No. uh, Anyway, there was it was I think it was 2019. This group of Georgian women came and they were sort of the only natural winemaker Georgian female natural winemakers at the time. And now, you know, I was there in May, and I was walking down the street and we ran into like another female winemaker. You know, like we uh, you go to a bar and you find another female winemaker, and you know there are just so many people making so many female identified people making wine in Georgia right now. Um, and it keeps growing and growing and it feels like a very exciting moment
1: yeah
0: uh, I totally
1: agree and so you you import wine from France mm-hmm. you import wine as you do a little bit from Italy and Spain mm-hmm. uh, you're working with importers as well like from Australia exactly yeah. where you're not doing legend so you have all this really delicious wine coming over from other countries but what I find so compelling about what you're doing is that you're also representing winemakers from other states, folks who are doing natural wine. For instance, I've heard about the American wine, wine Project, which is based in Wisconsin, for years and I've been wanting to try the wines. And then when I, the other day when I came to the tasting and I saw the wines, I was like, oh, thank God I finally get to try them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like Plebe Urban Winery, Darwin actually was telling me about Plebe, and then they are there, and Lightwell Survey. And I think it's it's just amazing to see, a that there are other states and other folks who are making great wine and also making natural wine and but just that, you know that they're out there. So how how do you go about sourcing and finding these people?
0: You know there are a couple of ways. You know the first producer that I actually, in theory, was working with was from Texas, and that's how I met Tony through a winemaker named Louis Dixon Mm -hmm. from he makes wine under the label La Cruz de Comal in um, the hill country in Texas. And I, l- I literally met him because I Googled, I was on a road trip in Texas many years ago and Googled natural wine Texas and, um, and found, and Lewis was the only hit at that point. And you know, I emailed him, he didn't email me back, so I just showed up at the winery um, and we hit it off immediately. And he's, you know, he's a riot. And, and Tony actually consulted with him when he started his project. So there are things like that sort of where it really is, you just show up at someone's door Um, there are other situations where, you know, I met Aaron Rasmussen from American wine project at wild world, which is a, a wine fair, um, that happens every year in Brooklyn and in Austin, Texas, actually. Um, and, uh, wild world kind of brings together people who are doing wild fermentations, not just wine, um, not just grape wine, but also, uh, made from many other, many other things. Um, any fermented beverage. It doesn't even need to be alcoholic, just um, compelling. So Aaron was there and a bunch of other producers who were working with hybrids. Um, I met Chris uh, from Pleb Urban Winery in North Carolina as, the, uh, as well. And, you know, many other people, this kind of thing, there there are like forums um, where, you know, people get together and it's kind of just, uh, I find a matter of like um, keeping your your ear to the ground in terms of sort of like, who needs represent, what's happening, what's the, you know, like what's happening that's exciting and interesting. You know, and when I was thinking about, I'm in this moment now where, you know, there are many importers working with French, Spanish, Italian, German wineries. You know, Western Europe doesn't need, doesn't need any extra representation. And you know, they're like, when I go to the Roussillon, there are tons and tons of wonderful producers who are looking for representation. And yet, you know, is it the most compelling thing to me? Not necessarily, you know. The thing that I think is exciting about what's going on in the U.S. is, is that these producers are working in places that don't have a history of natural winemaking, and but do have a history of winemaking. You know, in the U.S., every state, pretty much every state in the Union has a history of, of winemaking. And all of these stories are very complex and very compelling. And... You know, the people who are working in, you know, Aaron and Chris can tell you everything about um, wine making tradition in Wisconsin and North Carolina, respectively, historically, um, where it was 100 years ago or it was 150 years ago, 200 years ago, if it existed and where it is now. They're also working with, you know, and then talking about like Chris and Jenea from the 280, you know, Jenea opened a wine for us yesterday from just native California grapes. And, you know, I've never – I've been working in wine in California for, whatever, eight, to eight, ten years. And I've never tasted a wine from native California grapes, you know. This stuff is exciting to me. You know, this is thinking about – thinking about what it looks like now and what it looks like in ten years to make wine hmm. in 20 years um, in California. I think it's also exciting to me because it's not happening very much in California. You know, we have such a vinifera – um, and just to clarify, Vitis vinifera is the is the species of grape that's normally used for winemaking. And a lot of these producers are working with grapes that are um, uh, that are what's called hybrid. So they're not necessarily uh, of that same species. Um, they could be blended from from two different, you know, two different vinifera grapes, or f- from a native grape and a vinifera grape, or whatever. Many different combinations. W- many different ways of being a hybrid. But these grapes are usually um, more climate. Like you know, Chris from Pleb talks about how his his theory is basically like if you can't form if you f- can't farm something organically, you shouldn't be farming it there at all. And so he's working with grapes in North Carolina, in incredibly humid, in an incredibly humid climate, high altitude, that can be farmed organically there, which is kind of a miracle. Um, so just kind of like rethinking the structures. And since I started working with these wineries, which is very recently um, with, with American Wine Project and, and, um, and Pleb, I've been working with Lightwell Survey from Virginia for three or four, I guess three, I don't know how many years I've been in business, probably at least three years. Um, and yeah, in theory, La Cruz de Comala for five years, but he's barely sent me any wine because he, l- he has trouble letting go of it. But I have to go there and get it this year. That's my plan. (laughs) (laughs) The road trip to Texas? Road trip to Texas, yeah. It's okay. I'd like to – every once in a while. Um, But anyway, yeah, really it's just changing – you know, changing the way that I have – I'm thinking about what a wine can be, like colors, textures, flavors that I've never seen before. You know, when you – taste wine all day every day there are many you know uh, like when i go to a wine fair i basically taste or go to a a trade tasting or whatever i taste wine until something stops me in my tracks you know and i have to stop and and like you can taste hundreds of wines and never and never even come close to sort of like this kind of revelatory moment you know it's been really exciting for me um and energizing like re-energizing but i will say that you know even though this is my area of focus, we can transition into the other wines we have here today from another producer if we want to. Well, well, let's see. So we just tasted uh, wine from
1: American Wine Project. Uh, that was th- that was modern optimism, right? Yeah, modern.
0: Modern optimism, exactly. So,
1: so what, yeah, let's talk about this wine for a bit because it's delicious. I think that if I were to serve this to somebody, I don't think they would think, like, this has got to be from someplace weird like Wisconsin.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, the wine is the grape is Saint. I don't know how would you say it. you would say it in 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 without a French accent. Saint, it's spelled P E P I N. Pepin. Yeah, Pepin. Yeah. Saint or, Pepin. or
1: or it could be because Pepin because there's only one P. Yeah. So, uh, I guess however they pronounce it, is they I would defer it. to and their you, pronunciation. And
0: the fruit is fifty percent from Wisconsin and fifty from Minnesota. And um, you know, I I think people are making a lot of jokes about how Minneapolis is is. Everyone's going to move to Minneapolis in 10 years because it's like everywhere else is going to be too hot or whatever, 20 years, maybe 30 years. But, you know, thinking about people in grapes, you know, growing grapes in Minnesota is not so Um, far-fetched. There are a lot of at The University
1: of Minnesota is where a lot of the hybrids. Exactly. Hybrid research happens. Yeah,
0: And I just learned that if you use any of the hybrids that the University of Minnesota came up with, I don't know what the... Cre- concocted created, in their, concocted, their lab. Yeah, yeah. Bread. Then you have to always pay royalties to them, mm-hmm. which is whatever. I'm min- I'm into open source, but you know, whatever. Yeah. To each their own. Um, but yeah. Anyway, this this wine is beautiful. It's like super saline. It's kind of like if I I don't like comparing wines to other wines, but it 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 does have this sort of this like Jura esque oxidative quality and like just like a rich, open, white wine. You know, it's really it's really pretty. It's really beautiful.
1: Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about
0: American Wine Project and who's behind it, too? Sure. So the winemaker's name is Erin Rasmussen, and she she, she worked in, in wineries all over California and worked in many different capacities in the wine industry and then sort of had this... Uh, wanted to go home to Wisconsin, where she's from, and, um, you know, and decided to start this project, I guess, in... 2018 maybe um and yeah and she works entirely with hybrids um and the wines are really radical they are just um really um very very special really surprising she also i mean she's into open source stuff all of the labels are um are images that are like a. You know, there's like a kin- not on this one. I don't actually know what this one is, but it's a condens. The, there's one that's like a Kandinsky painting that, um, you know, I- are just things that are not uh, not copy written, right. right? That you can reproduce and use. Um, and yeah, she's just doing really Im- amazing work. Sourcing fruit from uh, Wisconsin and from Minnesota, and she's, um, yeah, she's you know, she's not. She's using. Sometimes she's inoculating, and sometimes she's. She's doing basically. She's she's doing a couple of things that aren't necessarily natural wine, strictly natural wine. But you know, I think that the thing the thing that I think is important also is to invest in you know invest in what is possible, what is the future. You know, it's not necessarily today that everything that we want to be achieved will be achievable. But maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, Um, you know, with growth, with more resources. Uh, with more experimentation, you know, who knows what will be possible. Yeah, so uh, was this wine inoculated? No. Yeah, I, bet I, I wouldn't have thought so. But no, no, Yeah. No. Um, it happens here and there, but this one isn't.
1: Yeah, oh, cool. Well, so, okay, we also are trying a couple of wines from uh, Henri Milan.
0: Mm-hmm, which is a totally another story. So let's, let's hear that story. Okay, so Henri Milan is a winery that was started in the 70s by a winemaker named Henri Milan in Provence. Um, and Henri's family, um, the Milan family are, um, they're like a, they've been in Provence for many generations and they were doing, they were basically like, there w- there's fa- a family of what's called notaires in France, which is it's some kind of solicitor <coughs> or something. It's like a, anyway, th- it's like a lawyer, basically the equivalent of like a corporate lawyer. Um, and they, basically, so Henri was this, like, radical, he's, like, the fifth son in this family, this, um, and wanted to farm organically and make, you know, really atypical Provencal wines from the beginning, um, and Henri is, like, a you know, I, I met him for the first time this past year, I guess, and he's, like, a real, like, bon vivant, like, really, like, you know, just, a kind of, like, full of joy, f- just, like, Loves to drink wine, eat well, talk about books and music, and you know he's like a. Uh, he's he's not as much involved with the the winery now. His son Theo and and Theo's wife Natalie kind of like run the show, um, and so it's an interesting kind of you know there's some cuvées and the ones we're tasting today are actually his cuvées, but um, that are that are, have been the same for many many years, and then Theo the son is, is um making. A couple of wines that are kind of like a little bit more of a contemporary style so like uh macerated whites and and like lighter reds and things like that um the first wine we're tasting here is called um the premier it's a. Uh, it's the first it's like the first basically the first pick of the season it's a pinot noir and it's um um before they hire like the pick crew for the season um the pinot like ripens the earliest and pinot noir from provence is like a pretty wild thought but um yeah the family just picks this it sounds ridiculous it's like this perfect gorgeous like Provençal family with you know three generations and and all just picking this beautiful fruit together in a in a field at the base of the mountains and making this this wine that's they don't make very much of it but um i think it's really special whenever i get a chance to open it i always feel thrilled
1: well i'm thrilled thank you for sharing it with me my pleasure and then there's also the Merlot that that you, you brought over too. Mm.
0: The Merlot is interesting. You know, they make um, a Merlot and they make um, a Roussan in this sort of like higher end line. I only brought Pamela the fancy stuff today. Um, and the Merlot, the, the Merlot and the Roussan both see some some new oak, which I you know I don't really have any other wines in my portfolio that's that see new oak, except for vintages of Le Large Peugeot champagne that are coming, but it's, um, it's, um, you know, I've been really, like, pleasantly surprised at the sort of natural wine community's response to the richness of these wines. You know, I think we all have the idea that, like, natural wine has to be, like, youthful, easy drinking, light, cloudy, whatever. There's an aesthetic of wine that is, like, what's called natural wine. But, you know, the truth is these very serious wines, you know, are some of the, you know, are are, are within this field. And the people who are kind of the tastemakers in natural wine are as interested in this very expensive Merlot that sees some new oak as they are in, like, you know, a pet nap from Beaujolais. Yeah, well, natural wine is about – it's a process.
1: I do think that there's – as you were saying, there's sort of been this – idea of the natural wine of what natural wine should be and to me I think that's I, I that's I actually find a lot of natural wine can be really boring because of it I think that sometimes the fruit is picked just underripe. ripe uh, the wines are released too soon and you have wines that basically are just yeah they have a lot of acid but there's not a whole lot of complexity going on now there are tons of natural wines where that's not the case of course of course right but I do think that there's sort of this idea of uh, this is what natural wine should taste like.
0: Well, it's also out of necessity. You know, a lot of producers who are working in natural wine are getting started, or mm-hmm. they, you know, it's it's the thing that is a luxury with, you know, Milan, like many other, uh, that many other wineries don't have, is, is that they, they've been around for a long time, so they can, they have the, like, basically they have the resources to hold wine back, you know. Mm-hmm. And and not sell it immediately they can sell or something until it's ready unlike most other natural natural wineries you know because it it costs you know most of the time you you like in order to pay for bottles you need to you know it's like cash flow in this industry is the is the real killer of creativity and of of you know integrity in some ways you know like any other it's get, you know capitalism capitalism blo- just just blows capitalism's the killer of integrity yeah <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this before, but capitalism, yeah, yes. it's really,
1: yeah, not uh, news.
0: No, uh, well, I
1: think that I, I I hear what you're saying, and I, I think that's true. That is, there are economic necessities. You know, not everyone you know, has like the resources of a Milan to you know where they can hold wine back. So yeah, there was a, the need to to get your wine to market as soon as you can. I still think that you could get a wine to market. That is not sort of following this natural wine recipe, this of idea. Course. Yeah. And I think that's what makes, you know, that to me is the difference between the stuff that I find sort of like whatever and stuff that's like that I find compelling.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and, you know, the truth is that I work with a lot of people who are not, or who are working, uh, you know, I would say I work with a lot of people who really like be, are working in the way that they believe is. Mm-hmm. Is the right way and 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 they're very good at I, I'd say I'm working with a lot of very good farmers also you know people who really know their know their stuff you know when it comes to uh, their own vineyards and and sort of have a sense of I, I really have and their work their work has a sense of self you know I'm thinking about like Tamuna from Marani, you know I mean she's just you know She's just doing some really wild, amazing work and, and not doing anything that anybody else has ever done. You know, she doesn't come from a winemaking family. She just, um, she just kind of decided that, you know, in Georgia, people don't really blend grapes that much. Um, it's usually just like Riccatsatelli, six months on skin, Saparavi, two weeks on skins, or, you know, or direct press, depending on where you are, and She's doing these wild things, like a field blend of 35 grapes and, uh, you know, Saparavi plus Kisi plus Chinuri, all these like, in just really random, just making seemingly, just, it's it's as though she's been giving some given some visions of what, what Georgian wine can be, and she's just enacting these visions, you know. And it feels very natural, you know. What she's doing doesn't feel, like, contrived. It's not like she's like, I'm going to try something radical and new. I'm going to make... I'm gonna make a change, you know, but she's just doing this work that feels natural to her,
1: yeah, and no, oh, and her work her wines are fantastic yeah they're they're really delicious, so let me ask you something mm-hmm. because I think some people who might be listening might not be that familiar with what natural wine is, so what does natural wine mean to you?
0: God, I hate this question, oh gosh, so I'm gonna <laughs> make you answer no, it's very simple actually for yeah. me, um natural wine means um wine made farmed, you know, grapes grown without the use of synthetic pesticides herbicides, any kind of synthetics in the vineyard Um, uh, and then in the cellar, minimal sulfur usage no additions um, otherwise and fermented wild I'm not a stickler for sulfur as long as it's under a certain amount Um, I prefer you know 10 parts per million is sort of like my, my ideal, you know, not, not a lot, but enough to get it across the ocean without a real risk, you know, cool. and, and then, um, you know, farming is really the thing that's exciting, and, and, um, and that most of the producers that I work with are, are spending the most time on, and, you know, I mean, everywhere from like very intense permaculture to, you know, thinking about what's going on. Uh, you know the communication me- structures underground, above ground. You know, and you know, I work with one producer, Columbaya, that has four acres of of vines, and then has four hectares. Sorry, it's four hectares, four hectares of vines, and then four hectares of where their two horses just roam, so that the the animal energy balances out the plant energy. And you know, everybody who's doing really just like magic. Everyone, I just really believe in magic. In the vineyard?
1: Yeah. And you you can feel it sometimes. And, like, I'm not the super spiritual person, but sometimes you do go to certain places. You're like, wow, there's just something going on. Totally. I mean,
0: you can tell. Also, you know, if you've visited enough vineyards, there's I've had experiences where I've been, like, really sleepy after a long sort of, like, long lunch or something and walked onto a vineyard, and all of a sudden it's just being, like, shot with energy. You know, Hmm. just this really... Just some... You can... I think I am... I'm like very, you know, also I live in Los Angeles and like I'm surrounded by witches, such a gift in my queer community. And, um, you know, I'm very in tune with energies and I feel like it makes it really easy to pick people and it makes it um, really uh, cool to work with farmers who are um, working in that way. Are
1: all of your winemakers are they growing too or are there not some, everybody? Not everyone, and especially like in in a them. lot of places. For instance, in California, it's it's just the price of land. Is, if you're just starting out, is really cost prohibitive. Now, I was having a conversation with another importer a couple of weeks ago, and who you know he said, "Well, if you then why do you feel like you have to live in the Bay Area? And If you want, you know, go somewhere in another part of of the state." But that makes sense. I think, like, I try not to judge people to do what they want to do. And, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of different criteria by which to judge whether or not you want to buy wine. I, I do understand that. But we, we do have a, an issue as far as land owner, like, being able to own land. There's, I mean, there's basically, with the widening of income inequality in this country. I need to throw climate change on top of that. I think it's really difficult, and it's not just the United States. It's very difficult if you're just starting out to find a place where you can say, okay, I no, I can afford this land, and I can be pretty confident that I can pass this on to a couple of the generations, and the, and it's gonna be, and it will be productive. Like, we just don't know right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, nothing is certain. Nothing is certain.
1: Yeah. Well, nothing, I guess nothing's ever certain, but... Mm -hmm. uh, So, you're working with a few different importers. Who who else are you working with right now?
0: Uh, Owen Cotler, Selections, Goat Boy, yeah, and Legend. Okay, yeah, which, so, Owen's
1: stuff is, that's mostly, like, European, Mm -hmm. pretty much all European. Goat Boy is also European. European. Uh, Legend is Australian, though.
0: Mm -hmm. Legend is Australian.
1: Yeah, and, I like, full disclosure here, one of the partners of Legend, Jane Lopes, is on my organization's board of directors, so I I do want to disclose that, but... Uh, I thought it was really interesting the other day when I was tasting the wines, and mm-hmm. I've, I've had their wines before, and I've always thought they were they were quite good. Uh, but the wines from the uh, La Petite Mort wines, yeah. And I was Darn, and I were tasting where he well he excuse me they got a little caught up into in a conversation with someone, so they were like a few wines behind me. But then I, I kind of looked over at Darn, and I was like, wait till you get over here. And they just blew me away. Mm-hmm. Those wines are wonderful. I, uh, so, like, for instance, when you taste with an, I- w- when you're deciding if you're going to work with an importer, mm-hmm. is it, sometimes it will be, like, just one winery or something where, like, whoa, I need to have this winery? Or is it just an overall feeling? Or is it a little bit of both?
0: It's a little bit of both. I mean, with, you know, with Goat Boy, with Goat Boy and Owen, it's a different story. And, you know, I've been working with them for a few years each. And some they have some wonderful wineries that I love, love working with and, you know, be, I'd been buying wine from them for years um, before that, when I was working in restaurants. With Jane and John, you know, I knew them from, um, from work with you, Pamela, and I knew them from their reputations and everything. You know, I mean, Jane, you know, they're really well-respected in the industry. Um, and I didn't really know what their wines were like, you know, and they reached out to me sort of out of the blue – and, you know, I, I kind of always say yes to tasting stuff because I'm like, you know, whatever. And I, I also have a soft spot for Australia generally for the for, th- for the whole and for Australian wines. I, I lived there for a while and I had a – I spent a lot of time with Australians, let's just say. A, s- a string of years, many, many years of my life spent with Australians.
1: I, I won't even ask. Yeah. But yes. I, th- I, I mean, listen. I, I, do ha- I do have a fondness for Australians yes, myself. Yes, I know. We
0: <laughs> talked about it the other day. Um, there was a certain point where I asked my friends if you ever see me talking to another Australian, you have to pull me away. <laughs> um, but yeah, I left which was, you know, to I, I lived it for like a in Melbourne. Anyway, I loved it and I loved the wines. it was kind of the first place that I regularly started to visit, um, wineries. And and at that point none of them were natural. Natural wine and in, in, in Melbourne like wasn't really a thing at that point. Natural it it was probably fifteen years ago to coaching, whatever anyway something like that and um anyway so when jane and john reached out i was really just curious um and so and we set up a time to taste and the, i was really blown away the wines w- you know really stood out to me um a lot of the producers you know and, and their book isn't exclusively natural at all um you know they have some producers that are a fit for us and some producers that aren't um just you know in terms of like the criteria that I laid out before um but La Petite More stood out also because they're working with Georgian wine vessels and using Georgian grapes so I was like this is a kind of important I think I'm interested in the diaspora of Georgian winemaking um you know there are people who work with what's called a quavri um which is this big clay pot that Georgians use and they bury it in the ground and that's what they make wine in and they've been doing this for 8000 years. You know, it's not a new it's not a new technology, let's just say. But it, it's also UNESCO it's a UNESCO world heritage practice. It's, it's protected the tradition. Um anyway, there are people who are working in other parts of the world with Georgian qvevri, one producer that I work with in the US, Caleb Leisure, people in France, Italy, um all over. I'd never had an Australian wine made in Georgian qvevri. And um I really was blown away. I mean, it's you know, I've. Their wines are very serious and very, um sort of like, you know, dense and expressive and and rich. And also, did you you told me that one of the winemakers in in the trio is queer, or did somebody else? I think was, somebody else did. It but was good to know. Yeah, okay, I know, cool. right? Yeah. Not only are the wines delicious, there also are people. Yeah.
1: Well, I yeah, and they're also doing a wine from Saperavi, which is a Georgian grape. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and another producer in in the legend book is the first the first First Nations owned winery in in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and you know I mean, talking about representation.
1: Yeah, no, they do a, a I think they do a really great job. It's where it's, you know, obviously they're a stickler for quality, but there's a lot more that goes into it, and they're very, so thoughtful, v- very thoughtful and, and, and intentional about yeah yeah what they do, exactly. which is why I. I was like Jane, I want you to join the board, but uh, <laughs> and and you know John too. We've been working on the wine industry equity pledge, and they've been so fat. They've been fabulous yeah. to work with. So I'm, I'm, I'll just say I'm glad that you picked them
0: up. But I'm, uh, you I'm know, honored, yeah, honestly, to work with their wines. Oh sure, and, and to work with them, they're yeah. such you know,
1: they're great. And I I don't really know uh, Byron is a guy from Goat Boy, right? Yeah. I don't really know him, but Owen is a really and good Bill
0: guy. and Bill Fitch. You know Bill? I don't. Yeah, Bill. You know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Owen is they're all wonderful, you know? Um, And yeah, I, you know, they all were really supportive to me when I was coming up and kind of, you know, it's, it feels like, you know, that's the thing about there's competition. Sure. But not really, you know, there's enough room at this point for natural wine importers for everyone to go around. There's some people who think of other people as competition, but the truth is my, my, my sort of ethos is like, if I can, if I can um, make it possible, for someone to, if I can like, you know, if I can support somebody, I will, you know. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing.
1: Well, that, that's great. <laughs> no, we uh, we have literally like 45 seconds left. Uh, so quickly, wh- where do, what are some places in San Francisco where people can find your wines? I know uh, Millay has
0: often has them. Mm-hmm. Millay has them. Sometimes Bay has them. Um, Ruby. Uh, uh, what else do we? I mean, any natural or wine an o- shop or, in or in for Oakland for that? Yeah. I don't know what other I'm like blanking. Oh, uh, well, everything. punch down, punch down. Sometimes. Uh obviously, minimo. Minimo, of course. Yeah, um, yeah which is wonderful. We, uh, 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 yeah, I don't know a bunch of any natural wine shop, and if they don't have it, ask them to take it on.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you'll be tonight at Friends and Family Bar yeah. in Oakland at five o'clock. Exactly. And okay. tomorrow at Habibi Bar. Oh, fantastic! Well, yeah. Roni, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for for coming and for sharing these wines with me. Thank
0: you, Pamela. Thanks sure. For
1: and for everyone else, thank you for listening to Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. I will be back next Wednesday at two, from 2 to 4. I, I'm not sure who my guest are, will be. We might just have a music day. on. I'm not quite sure. But whatever it is, it will be fun, I hope. Uh, have a great day, and I will see everyone or speak to everyone next week.